Jesus said to his disciples, I need to go to Jerusalem. I've got some important things things to do, and I want to celebrate Passover with you there. Will you come with me? Sure, said the disciples. Passover is a great holiday, such good food, and what a wonderful story. Passover celebrates the exodus of God's people, the Israelites from Egypt. It's good to be with friends and family at Passover. So Jesus and his friends started to go to Jerusalem. When they got closer, Jesus said, I'd like two, two of you to go borrow a donkey in the next village over. Please tell the owner I need it. He'll understand. When the two friends came back with the donkey, Jesus climbed on its back and rode down the hill into the city of Jerusalem. The disciples followed behind him. Suddenly, they found themselves in a parade. People were singing and shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Here comes God's King! Hosanna! Praise God! People all over heard the shouting and singing, and they joined the parade. And they joined the parade, too. Hundreds of people, thousands of people, they started taking off their coats and laying them on the ground for Jesus and the donkey to walk on. They pulled palm branches down from the trees and waved them as they sang. Then they threw their palms on the ground to make a path for Jesus. The crowd gave Jesus a royal welcome as he rode into the city, just like a king. But Jesus was a very different king. He was a king of peace. Not everyone understood that. Jesus was not at all what they were expecting. They thought the crowd was getting too loud and the parade was getting too big. Who is that man? Someone asked. What's going on here? Asked another. The crowd answered, This is Jesus, God's King. He has come to save us. Some of the religious leaders murmured, Hush, Jesus, tell your friends to be quiet. It's way too loud here. But Jesus said, We can try to make these people be quiet, but that wouldn't make a difference because Today, the whole earth is celebrating. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a Burger King on First Avenue in Coralville, which I drive by often, and like pretty much all fast food places, they have their sign right there, you know, close to the road, and right underneath it, they list whatever special is going on, whatever other message they want me to know, and, and, and it's a rule of thumb, and um, my wife can confirm this. I generally don't like to use the words never and always, because it seems to me that when people, including me and 
Once or twice in 45 years of marriage, my wife as well, I suppose, when people say, you never, or you always, that's oftentimes anyway probably not literally true. But back to the Burger King in Coralville, I think it might be literally true that whatever is the message on their sign, it is always, not just in all capital letters, but all capital letters with every single phrase always ending with an exclamation mark. So it doesn't just say, for example, jalapeno poppers, two ninety nine, drive through open. It says rather, and I've taken it, I've taken to reading it out loud this way when I'm in my car and I drive by. It says, jalapeno poppers, two ninety nine, drive through is open. With all caps and all those exclamation marks, I see it as a loud sign. So I read it as a loud read. I mention that because the Palm Sunday story to me um, is a loud read as well. Indeed, in that Spark Story Bible's version, which we just heard, not literally every single thing, but literally a full two-thirds of the thing that are spoken lines in that story are said with an exclamation mark. And didn't the girls do a good job of bringing that out? It's a loud story. Two-thirds of the thing people say in it, they say, shouting. Two questions. What are they shouting for? And what are they shouting for? The first question, what are they shouting for? Well, of course, they're shouting, first of all, because it's a large and crowded and clamoring scene. And so for starters, they're shouting because that's the only way to be heard. But they are shouting, too, because they are shouting with the previously pent up but now at long last released energy of generation upon generation of their people who had been waiting for, hoping for, longing for, praying for the day when at long last they could finally shout what these people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the son of David, the king like David whom God long ago promised to send to save us. Praise God. Hosanna. 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 It is, of course, the word above all words specifically identified with Palm Sunday. It's a Hebrew word. And in Hebrew, what it literally means is, save us, we beseech you. And there's also a sense of urgency to it, as in, save us, we beseech you now. So that literal sense, Hosanna, is a prayer. It's a prayer for help and an urgent what at that. But in addition to that literal understanding as a prayer for help, over the generations, Hosanna also took on the dimension of being a word of praise and a strong and exuberant word of praise at that, second only to the Hebrew word of praise, which in Hebrew is the highest word of praise of all, that being the Easter word of praise, which we're going to leave unspoken for just one more week until come Easter, we will be the ones among those shouting it. Hosanna is not quite up to the level of Easter's word of praise, but it is nevertheless in Hebrew a word of high praise, as in not only save us, 
but also praise God from whom all blessings flow. Here comes the one who's going to do that. Here comes the one. Jesus, you are the one who's got what it takes, who is great enough to accomplish the saving we need. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That last part is Mark 10, verses 9 and 10, where again all four sentences in the NRSV are followed by exclamation marks. It's a loud story. They are shouted lines. So that's what they're shouting for, for deliverance and for saving by Jesus and for praise. Praise of Jesus and of the God whom they believed was now at long last keeping promises by sending Jesus. Sending this one who comes now in the name of the Lord and therefore with the power of the Lord. Sending this descendant of David who will now be the king whom they've been waiting for pretty much ever since David. Which adds up to a thousand years of waiting. Which leads now to a thousand years worth of pent-up energy now doing the only thing it could do. Shouting. Prayer and praise. That's what they're shouting for. But what are they shouting for? What will become, I think, very clear as the story very quickly plays out is that what they are shouting for is for him to be the kind of king they want him to be. A king not just descended of David, but a king too who is exactly like David. David who conquered Jerusalem with swords that shed the blood of their enemies and expanded and secured his kingdom's borders the same bloody way. What they were shouting for, in other words, and in more specific terms, is for Jesus to do to Caesar and Rome what Jesus had done to Goliath and the Philistines. Strike them dead and drive those who were still living back to the sea. That was the actually very high bar that they did hold for the Messiah for whom they had been hoping for nearly a thousand years and especially for these last 600 years, the years since the Babylonian exile, which with just a few brief exceptions, all of which had been accomplished with bloodshed and then come to calamitous ends with even more bloodshed. But beyond those few violently book-ended exceptions, it had been 600 years since the Israelites as a nation had actually been free, rather than being a relatively minor puppet under the thumb of one regional superpower or another, be it the Babylonians or the Persians or Alexander the Great and his Greeks or now a succession of Caesars and their Romans. Jesus, of course, came with a bar way higher than that. For he did not come to be as great as David. He came as Lord, Lord even of David, with no 
interest whatsoever in making Israel great again by replacing one earthly kingdom with another in this remote corner of the Roman Empire. He came rather, not charging or storming into their midst, but gently clip-clopping into their midst to usher in the kingdom of heaven. Then, now, and finally unto forever, and in doing so, embracing even Rome and Greece and Persia and Babylon. For this king, though they want him to drive out their enemies, it's the one who taught his followers to love their enemies, which he personally would keep doing even when that would come to mean. Is that come Friday, the blood on his hands would be his own. For they surely did want him to save them from their Roman enemies. That's precisely what they were shouting for. But he came to save them and Rome and us and all from our deepest enemies. Sin and the death sin must and will die. And the hell sin completely deserves be it the hell on earth that sin inevitably causes and keeps causing, or be it the eternal hell, that place in the universe that, if it is a literal place, is literally a God-forsaken place. For if hell is hell literally, it is because God literally is not there. Which, of course, is what makes hell hell. It is that kind of greatness, greatness great enough to save us from our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the powers that birth them, which, as it turns out in the mind of Christ, are ultimately the only true enemies we have. The rest are just collateral damage. It is that kind of greatness that St. Paul lifts up and praises in that truly great and truly powerful passage we heard from Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Last week, you may recall, King David in Psalm 51 prayed for God to help him have a heart that was like the heart of God. Today, Paul's prayer is that we might all have a mind that is like the mind of Jesus. Both of those things, of course, are a threat 
to mind sets and to the heart when what the heart and mind are set on are the ways and means and rewards and kingdoms that are only of the world. For the heart and mind, the heart of God and the mind of Christ do not come to conquer us or our earthly enemies, but to save us, to save us from our true enemies. Even when that cannot at some point but come to mean saving us from ourselves and from the things we are shouting for. Amen.